All right, well, one last thing that we need to do that's actually going to be kind of awkward. Um, we need to ab- address a pretty um, big problem that's inside of Mosaic. Um, there is, I'm sad to say that there's been something of a, a church split uh, that is beginning to happen inside of Mosaic. Um, and it's, I know this is kind of awkward if you're new, uh, you're kind of like, you're jumping in on some family drama, um, but this is like yeast or like gangrene, and you just have, you have to pull it out. And so, um, Robert, would you make your way to the stage here? Um, Robert is, um, he's been accused of, of starting a schism inside this very church. On Wednesday, Robert posted this on Twitter and Facebook. Does anyone like bananas? Not eat or tolerate. I mean, does anyone walk into a store past strawberries, oranges, grapes, pineapples, mangoes, watermelons, apples, and pears and say, those bananas look delicious? No, bananas are nature's filler. They're fine, but not good. Now, now, normally we don't condone such public shaming of someone here, but because, it, I mean, it had like 175 comments uh, on this thing. People were going back and forth on this with Robert, and I think I want to give Robert an opportunity to come before the church and to publicly confess his sin before you today. And so go ahead, Robert. No, this is actually your opportunity to repent. <laughs> so we, I've met with the elders and the leadership team. And, and this is your opportunity. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, just think about this. A blueberry banana smoothie, what is better? Okay. What is better, right? You're, you're talking about smoothies, though. <laughs> like, that, that's, that's a filler, right? Uh, Amen, right? It's, okay. Anybody who... Wait, wait what you doing? I, I've got my banana what, what, here that I brought just for today. That's not a banana. That's, that's like, that's fungus. <laughs> but, Okay, it's see better what days. What are you doing? It's better see, days. Okay, okay. Just quick show of hands. If you love bananas, I'm talking. You ride hard for bananas. Not like you. Yes. Need, not you need potassium. Okay. <laughs> not like oh, I love a banana with chocolate or like peanut butter. Whoa, 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 like, whoa. You just walk don't, into don't the discourage. store. They already had their heads up. No, 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 no. Just walk into the store, pass all those other fruits, and you're like bananas. That's what I want. Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. All right. Okay, now all around the congregation, I want you to just lift your hands and pray for these people. No more. No, no. no. It's clear you're, you're, you're actually making it worse. Um, <laughs> you're, you're dividing the church even more. So let me That's just... That's okay. They can leave. Y'all, just raise your hand. It's real quick. Raise, show of hands. No? How many of you actually hate bananas with a passion like Robert? So some of you guys may not like it. Okay, so you guys are on board with them. Okay. You don't have to hate the bananas. Just like <laughs> you clearly hate the bananas. I like bananas. I don't love bananas. Nobody loves bananas. Just you didn't have hands, to say anything. Hands, the bananas hands. were hurting okay. you. All right, all right. <laughs> Let's give Robert a round of applause. Uh, we we asked online as well what they thought of that. Did uh, did anyone look at the? I'm assuming they're all on my team. I, I didn't get the chance to look yet. Sorry, online. We got all yeses online. Thank you, online. So, uh, today we're talking about schisms, but in a good way. Uh, Today, I want us to see that Jesus starts schisms. Sounds a little controversial, um, but the title of my sermon, and it has to be this way, Jesus starts schisms, tell me I'm wrong, I'm not wrong, but tell me anyways. 
And it was really important for that to be the whole title of the sermon. Aaron's like, how am I going to get that to YouTube? <laughs> it was imperative. You need to hear that. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, at these schisms in three ways. We're going to look at the proximity, the problem, and the provision. So the, the proximity of Jesus, the problem of Jesus, and the provision of Jesus. That's where we're going today. So the proximity. Okay, so uh, last week, uh, if you weren't here with us, last week uh, we saw that Jesus's brothers were trying to give him some bad advice to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles to embarrass himself, uh, and he tells them, no, that my time has not yet come. Um, But this week, as we just read, we see that he's up at the temple. And some of you guys are starting to go... I've done that before. <laughs> Some of my friends have said, hey, you want to go out tonight? And I'm like, nah, nah, I'm cool. And then they see you out. <laughs> they're like, you're a terrible human being. <laughs> That's not what's happening to Jesus. His brothers wanted him to publicly go out to the temple so that everyone would see him and hear him. And he says no. So he was denying, he was trying to, to, he was trying to downplay his presence there in that way. But then he goes up secretly in verse Uh, Where are we at? Verse 10. After his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. And so that's what's happening. He's going up to the the temple. He's trying to go in secret. But everyone's asking about Jesus. He's created somewhat of a buzz. There's There's a stir. People are wondering who he is. And so it's really hard for Jesus to be anonymous now. And so halfway through this feast, this is a, a week-long feast. It is a week-long camping trip, if you remember from last week. The, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, is the Feast of Tents. It's them remembering their time in the desert where they, they had, to, had no home and they were following the Lord in tents. And so every year they would celebrate this feast, this camping trip, for a week. And so halfway through the feast of this, Jesus spe- begins to teach. And what he does is he is talking about the power of of proximity. Everyone is starting to ask, you know, like, where is this dude from? Like, where did he, where did he go to school? Uh, what is his credentials? What do we know about him? And so look at their astonishment in verse 15. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And so they're, they're going like, wait, how does he know so much? <laughs> what school did you go to? Did you go to Baylor? Did you go to Cornell? Did you go to Yale? You know, what, what, what school did you go to? And Jesus says in verse 16, nah, that, that's not me. Um, he says, it comes from him who sent me. And, you know, they're like, okay. <laughs> don't know what that means. Uh, clearly, they don't get it. Uh, but the crowds are just astounded. They're going like, one, it's confusing what he says. But two, they're just wondering why no one has shut this dude up yet. Like, why has no one just silenced him yet? Like, are you guys really buying this? And in verse 27, the crowds are saying, but we know where this man is from. Where this Messiah comes, no one, when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. And so they're trying to say, we know where you're from. Like, we know you because we know your town. Like, you, you're, you're from Westerville, Ohio. We know who you are. We box you in. Don't you hate that when someone says, like, I know you because I know where you come from. And they've kind of boxed you in by, by that geography of that's where you are, where you come from. And so that's all you'll ever be, right? That, that's who you are. And so they're like, is this, isn't this like little Joseph's kid? Didn't he, like, install my roof? And he might have, right? <laughs> he, he can't be the Messiah. But hundreds, hundreds of prophecies 
are talking about the Messiah and where he's coming from. And so there was no secret Messiah. There was no surprise about this. Micah 5.2 talks about when the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And it's promised hundreds of years before then. In 2 Samuel, we learn of David's lineage, that the Messiah is going to come from David's lineage. And Joseph is from the line of David. And so when Joseph adopts Jesus, Jesus now has all the rights to be an heir to the kingdom of David there. And so later, the chief priests even double down. The chief priests, the ones who should know it all, right? And say, no prophet or Messiah can come from Galilee. And they're like, we may not see that as kind of odd because we're we're not sure. (laughs) But it's it's more than wrong. Like, if you actually know where some of these prophets are come from. No prophet comes from Galilee. We can think of five major prophets that come from Galilee. Jonah from 2 Kings is from Galilee. Micah, Micah 1, says he's from Galilee. Elijah, 1 Kings from Galilee. Nahum, Hosea, they're all from Galilee. And so they're like, no prophet comes from Galilee. No one's going to challenge him on that? (laughs) Like, okay, clearly they're not doing their homework. Nobody comes from Galilee, and yet all these prophets do this. But Jesus, oddly, doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't rebuke them. That happens a lot in the, in, in the Gospel of John. People keep saying wrong things and, and dumb things, and Jesus just lets their words reverberate for them to, for the rest of history to see, right? And so Jesus says, uh, and he's kind of affirming something true about their statement in verse 28, yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from, somewhat. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, <laughs> gulp, uh, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Okay, so <laughs> do we see what Jesus is doing? Like he's emphasizing the power of proximity because they're wanting to know where he's from and he keeps forcing them to talk about who he's from. They keep wanting to know where he's from, but he wants to talk about who he's from. Right? Jesus keeps speaking on a plane that no one else is speaking. He's like on the subterranean level, and they're like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and it's, it's actually kind of funny. They're like, what school did you go to? Like, oh, actually, I didn't go to school. And they're like, okay. Like, but we know where you're from. Well, actually, you don't know where I'm from. You think I'm from Galilee, but that's not ultimately where I'm from. Like, they, they <laughs> everyone is just missing one another in this conversation here. Because Jesus is trying to say, my true home is, is much closer to God than you know. There is a, there, I have a greater proximity to God than you even realize in this very moment. And it's highlighted, I think it's highlighted by this very exchange, we didn't read it here, Um, after when Jesus says this in verse 33, it says, I am with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And then their response is is just very humorous. (laughs) They're like, where is he going? What? Where is he going? Is he going, to, is, he going to, is he going to here? Is he going to here? Is he going to dispersion? Like, where, where is he going? Is he telling me I can't go? Oh, no, don't tell me he's telling me I can't go. Like, <laughs> they're just so confused. <laughs> where is he going? <laughs> I want to go. Call the Uber. Like, they're so concerned about where he's going. And so what Jesus keeps doing amidst all of this is talking about who he is from. And he keeps claiming his godhood. He keeps claiming his divinity. I'm going to be with my father you can't come. And so we have a big problem on our hand right here. We have a Jesus problem right now. Everyone wants to talk about Jesus as the reason for the season, right? (laughs) That Jesus is the answer. And yes, 
But before that, Jesus is the problem. Jesus creates a problem. And so what I want to see here is that, you know, some of y'all know some troublemakers in your town, maybe some troublemakers in your home, maybe some troublemakers in your church that say such nonsense about bananas and whatnot, that just, that force a, 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 a debate and a schism to happen because they say something so outrageous that you have to address it in the middle of your service or wherever you're at, <laughs> Right? They say something so outrageous that you have to deal with the claims that they make. Verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how come can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem and the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. The people were divided because of Jesus. And that word divided is the Greek word schisma. And so it's right there in the text that Jesus starts schisms. (laughs) He divides people. There is division. There is discord. There is not unity over who Jesus is. He starts schisms right there in the text. He's going to say some of these outlandish things and you have to either go, I've got, to submit, I've, got, I've got to adapt my thinking to agree with this, or I just push it away and think he's, he's a lunatic, he, he's, he's lost his mind, or maybe he's a liar, maybe, maybe he's evil. You have to respond to what Jesus is saying here. And so think of it this way. If you got two letters in the mail, one from the IRS that says you did not pay your taxes properly, and so you now owe $100,000 in back taxes, You get this in the mail. Think about that. Some of you all got something similar in the mail. (laughs) Okay. Another letter you get, second to that, is you get something in the mail that says, hey, I'm your aunt, Shirley. Um, I set up an account for you that whenever I passed, heads up, I passed, uh, (laughs) that I'm giving you now $10 million. Just call this number. Okay, what? These are two outrageously wild claims that if you just throw those in the trash, could be like (laughs) the worst news in the world. Could also be potentially the worst news in the world that you're missing out on, right? Like if I just throw the IRS letter in the trash, that's bad news for me, right? If I throw $10 million in the trash. So you at least need to call the number, right? You at least need to go like, is there something here? The the claim is too big for you to just gloss over, and that's what Jesus does. He makes such enormous claims that we can't just gloss over and go, he's a prophet, he's a good teacher. We have to deal with what he says in the text. It could either be devastating or life-changing. And so is it legit? I mean, look, Jesus does this all the time. Matthew 10, uh, 34, he says, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring bring peace, but a sword. You're like, oh gosh, <laughs> violent, <laughs> right? And then Jesus talks about how he's going to turn family members against one another, that he is going to be creating these schisms even within families. Jesus is going to demand that you deal with him. All or nothing. Is he God? And if so, then he demands my full allegiance. And so some might say, yeah, but that's not how I see Christ. Like the way I see Christ is he's more like, He's more like an advisor, and he gives me some good advice, and sometimes I take it, sometimes I don't. But here's the thing, though. Christ 
isn't a guidance counselor. He isn't a career counselor. You can't just take or leave his advice. He doesn't let you do that. Either Christ is the king of the universe and and we adapt, or he's not and we just move on with our lives. Which one is he? I mean, imagine two little fleas are sitting on a dog. Just imagine it. They're sitting on a dog and they're having a question like, you're like, should we bite him? I don't know. Maybe we should. Maybe we shouldn't. Also, what do you think about this dog? Like, like, what do you think his backstory was? And they're like, you know, I, I like to think about the dog. I like to think this dog could fly. Like, he's got superpowers. He's like, shoot lasers from his eyes. Oh, that's cool. And the other flea's like, I don't know. Like, I like to think, like, this dog, like, actually has, like, never died. Like, he's lived his whole life through, like, World War II and all these things, and he's, like, saved people. Like, that's how I like to think of the flea. And they're like, that's cool, man. Like, <laughs> but it doesn't matter what these fleas think about the dog, right? They need to deal with the reality that the dog is much bigger than the flea, and they need to deal with the reality is like, okay, if the teeth start coming towards me, I need to adapt. I need to, I need to go away. I need to scurry away, right? That this is, Christ is so much greater than we that we have to adapt to what he is, not just go like, no, nah, I don't like to, I like to think of him as this way. Like, who is he actually? And we need to wrestle with that, who God actually is, and respond to that. But we're not going to do it. <laughs> We're not going to do it. I know we're not going to do it because we're stubborn people. I'm stubborn. <laughs> Very stubborn. My wife says I'm stubborn. My parents who are here say I'm stubborn at times. So. <laughs> we will all come up with a million reasons to avoid dealing with hard truths. And so <laughs> people today, as did the people then. The people then, they, they're, they're, they're divided over Jesus, but then the conversation goes to the Pharisees and the chief priests and the, chief, and the Pharisees and the chief priests are real mad uh, that they did not arrest Jesus in this moment. And so they asked the guards, why didn't they arrest him? And in verse 46, it says, the guards are saying, no one ever spoke the way this man does. And the Pharisees' response is in verse 47, you mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law There is a curse on them. And so what they're saying is the officers are blinded by their deception. The crowds are idiots, are potentially cursed. But then in verse 50, even one of their own starts at least listening to Jesus. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who we've talked about before earlier, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? <laughs> Look into it and you'll find that the prophet does not come out of Galilee. Like, do you see how quickly they're turning on each other? <laughs> like, oh, are you from Galilee as well? Like, they just went after Nicodemus here. Like, everyone's crazy but them. This doesn't sound like interactions in our world, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, are we open to new information ever? It doesn't feel like it. Are we ever open to being challenged? I think typically we pick an idea or a thought and we click into that space and we defend that idea or that thought from everyone else. We're never even open to listening to someone else here. Like we're just like, my side is right, the other side is wrong, and just like the Pharisees here. So Jesus is going to demand that we give an answer to this big problem that he's putting out here. Is he God or is he not? Is he? And my prayer for you this morning is that you're not found on the wrong side of that question. 
Is he God or is he not? Now, we looked at the proximity of Jesus. We looked at the problem of Jesus. Now, let's look at the provision of Jesus. One of the things that Jesus says here that just confuses everyone, but I think is probably the, the best part of this whole passage here, um, it happens uh, on the last day of the feast on ver- in verse 40, 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now, this feels like a very out-of-place statement in the midst of all of us discussions of where he's from, who he's, who he's going to, and things like that. But I actually think it's, very, it's like the key to this whole thing. Like, remember, everyone wants to talk about where he's from. He wants to talk about who he's from. They want to talk geography. He wants to talk theology, right? That's kind of the distinction that's going on here. And one of the practices during the Feast of Tabernacles, besides setting up the tents that they would live in, you know, for the whole week, we talked about that. One of the practices that they would do was the priest would grab a, a gold bowl and grab some water every day, and, and he would lead a procession of people, and they'd all follow behind him, and they'd be singing songs behind him. And one of the songs they would be singing is from Isaiah 12. With joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they would pour that water out as an offering. And you ask, okay, why? Why are they doing that? And it was a throwback to the people of Israel, again, wandering in the desert. This is, the, this is what they're celebrating They're wandering the desert, and they have nothing to eat or nothing to drink. And at one point, God says, if you strike this rock, water will come out. Do you remember this story? And so this is what they're celebrating, that if you strike this rock, water comes out. And so the priest would do this at the feast every single day. They They would get the bowl, and they would pour it out every single day except for the last day of the feast. And so it's the last day of the feast, and this is when Jesus steps up. As if to say, I am the rock that when you strike, water will come out. That I and the Spirit will replenish your soul. And if we're not getting it, if we're not getting it, he spells it out for us in verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And so Jesus is making the connection of the water to the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying that when I'm struck down, the Holy Spirit is going to come. I need to be struck down. That's when it says that he's glorified. Then the Holy Spirit will come. And so I want us to see that it's not enough for us just to make a decision on the problem of who Jesus is. Yes, it's problematic, and I hope we, we are able to hear what he has to say and actually respond to it, but more than just believing in Jesus, because remember that demons believe in Jesus, it's not just believing who Jesus is, it's actually hearing his words and letting those words replenish our souls and saying, those are beautiful words, I need to hear them. And so my prayer for you this morning is that Jesus' words would replenish your souls. Like, <laughs> As much as my body needs a drink of water, my soul needs to be replenished by the Spirit of God. Like, so many of us, our souls are just parched in desperate need of water, and we are just drinking sand. You know what I'm talking about, right? We just go after sand. We go after things that are just not going to satisfy. And we think, why, why am I so parched? Why do I keep avoiding water? Does the Spirit replenish you? 
Charles Spurgeon has this great quote that just, I think it, it depends on where you're at. It might, it might be good news or bad news to where you're at. Some of us know at times what it is to be almost too happy to live. Anyone feel in that, in that spot today? The love of God has been so over, overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions that we have almost had to ask for a stay or a stop of the delight because we could not endure anymore. We've had to ask God to stop making your love so present to me because I can't stand it. I'm too happy. Anyone praying that? Like, do we even know anything about that? Do we know anything about that type of relationship with our God? Like, I get wanting to be careful about trying to be overly emotional and too um, moved by these things sometimes. And, and I, I get that. There's, there's times that, that people can, can abuse this in a way. But I think sometimes we think when someone is acting this way, we're like, oh, they're just a naive Christian. They don't know, like, the harsh realities of what it means to be a Christian. And we kind of look down on, on someone who actually responds in this way. Like, they're newbies. They're not educated like us. Like, we, we're, I think our problem today is that we might have too much access to information, that we know almost too much about what's happening in the world, and so we want to we analyze every single thing from every single angle, you know, the, the Christianity, our, our faith, the Bible, and we can talk everything to death so much that we just rob ourselves of the pure, unadulterated joy of being in the presence of our maker. Like... Do we know anything about that, of being in his presence? I mean, one way of describing someone like this is that they just come away glowing. You ever met someone like that, that they're just radiating? That's actually what happens in the Old Testament. Whenever someone is is with the Lord, they walk away and they are glowing, literally, because they've been spending time with a whole nother being. Do you know what that is? Have you met someone like this? I mean, they become a source of joy, a source of life for you. They, they, you come to them, and they're, they're a safe place. Are, are we that way? Do, we, do we, we identify with this? How do we get that? You have to have direct personal contact. Like, how do you get to have that radiating glow? You have to be in the presence of the Spirit. And Other religions think this is just preposterous. There is no way you can be in direct personal contact with God. Like, how could you be in that type of space? But all throughout the Old Testament, what we see here is there is a tie between God's presence and him himself, his Holy Spirit. We see there's this tie between his presence and his spirit so that when his presence comes on people, they start doing crazy things. You can think of Samson, right? When the presence came on Samson and he just you know, tears down a building, right? There's this presence comes on people. That's the power of God. You can think of when someone was walking with God. That's God's presence, his spirit walking with them. Or you can think of, of Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 51, 11, cast me not away from thy presence, or it's from his face, and take not your spirit from me. David said it would be devastating for your presence to be taken away from me. But what we have today in the book of Acts, 
when the time of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit, after Jesus was died, raised, glorified, he, he rose to be at the right hand of the Father, and then his Spirit comes. The, the rock was struck, and now the water comes. And the Spirit comes out in Acts 2 at Pentecost, and now the, the Spirit is filling every single one of us. That the, the presence of the Lord is now walking with every single one of us for those who actually put their hope and faith in Christ. And so I'm asking you today, like, does that comfort you? Are you comforted by the presence of the Lord? Like, do you realize, like, the proximity that we have today is greater than anyone in the Old Testament ever had? Like, they had, they had sprints of it. They had, they had moments of it. But the proximity that we have now, the access that we have to the Father, we have in such a greater number than they did then. I mean, this whole time, the, 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 everyone here in this text is obsessed with where. Where is Jesus going? And ultimately, I want to say is, where doesn't ultimately matter here? Because no matter where you're at, you can go into the Holy of Holies wherever you're at. We, have the, we just have wild access into the Holy of Holies, but do we take advantage of it? Do we spend that time with God? And it says when we do, rivers of living waters will flow from within us. And so we, as we just said earlier, you've met people who've had living waters flowing from them. And you've been replenished from them. And I'm asking you, do you want that? Do you want, do you want a glow? And do you want waters to flow from within you that you would be a, you would be a source, a well of this joy to people around you? Get close. Get close into the presence of the Lord. You're not going to know anyone well unless you spend time with them. You can't know someone well unless you spend time with them. And so put the phones away. Put all the distractions away and spend time. I mean, that's amazing access that we have right here. But here's the thing. I, think, I feel like everyone's going, but what if I go and meet with the Lord and he doesn't want to meet with me? Like, what if the Lord's going to say, not today? And I think that every single one of us has that fear. But the context for which Charles Spurgeon had that quote about the happiness came in the context of him preaching a sermon on the prodigal son. Where, where the father sees the son who is the prodigal, who is, who is lavishly run away, recklessly run away from his father, and he starts coming back, and he's just worried about the same fear that you have. What's the father going to be like when I come into his presence? And the father starts sprinting towards his son. And it says that he ran to him, and then it says that he embraced him. And I just like to think of this as a giant bear hug. He embraces his son, and it says he kisses him. That's how you get to be overwhelmed with that type of happiness and that type of joy. <laughs> to have the father say, I want to embrace you like that because I love you that deeply. That's how he embraces us because of what Jesus has done. So go to the father. <laughs> Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a teacher? Or is he the one who makes that type of access possible? I pray today that we will get that type of proximity so that when we answer the problem of Jesus, we appreciate the provision of Jesus' spirit. Let me pray.